the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Uh-oh, we're remote today. We Uh-oh. are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. We're, it, it, this is like a throwback, you know, except I'm in my, my, I'm at my parents' house. I go home on the weekends to hang out with them. And I'm in my sister's uh like office space off the uh, off the end of her bedroom guess what i didn't have growing up rachel an office space off the end of your bedroom you're gosh darn right (laughs) um it's it's fun coming back here and sitting here and realizing wow my parents do have a favorite child that's oh man yeah we've got that in our family too don't you worry absolutely well here we are we the reason why we're remote is because we have a guest coming on today a pretty special one um if anything it was uh he was my rebound to when rachel my work wife left me to go to work for the vancouver canucks uh it's gonna be jesse marshall is gonna be coming on the show um it's gonna be great it might not be awkward considering that him and i you know we uh, uh we were lovers and then and then uh and then you came back rachel and i had to leave my lover jesse marshall out in the cold and it was a shame True. um no it, he's he's great i you know Talking with Jesse, especially about Pittsburgh, because obviously he is, he lives there, he covers them. It's a lot of fun. And we're going to have a lot of fun with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we, there's nobody better to dive into the Pittsburgh Penguins with than Jesse. And so mm-hmm. we got all our fancy stats and they're an intriguing team at the deadline. So we're really looking forward to that. But first we got, uh, there was like a lot of news and just stuff that happened over the last few days. Yeah, there's some stuff that's going on. So I think it's important that we, uh, you know, that, that we take a look at it. And we start that off with uh, the Leafs, the center of the hockey universe, as we always do. Namely, that Joseph Wool is back. He's being recalled from his conditioning loan. It's his first, you know, he got injured, I believe it was on December 8th. Uh, and now he's finally back. It's been over two months. This, this, is, this is, A, a great thing for the Leafs, but it's also giving a couple questions here. Namely, what do they do with Martin Jones, the goaltender that kind of a lot of people weren't expecting to be important for the Leafs, but stepped in and pretty much saved their season. So what what happens here, Rachel? Yeah, I think it's great that Joseph Wool is back. I think he made like 37 saves on 38 shots in his lone game with the Marlies. He looked absolutely fantastic. I went back and watched the game. It was against Laval. But it's a great question, right? Do the Leafs carry three goalies? And I think they have to. I There is no chance that Martin Jones gets through waivers. He's got a 907. He's performing above expected. He's played 20 games. And he was sort of the guy that when the Leafs season was on the brink of absolute disaster, he was the guy that came in and sort of steadied the ship and bought time for Ilya Samsonov to kind of refine his game. And so... I think he deserves to be up on the NHL roster. It's going to present some issues. But at this point, we've seen it so many times where if you get a goaltender claimed on waivers later in the season, like it could be a problem come playoff time. So I think the Leafs are going to find a way to keep Martin Jones on the roster. And it's going to be tough with practice time and whatnot, but they've got the resources and and the guys to be able to 
to make sure their guys are getting puck shot at them pretty often. Uh, but I'll be interested to see how Joseph Wool performs at the NHL level when he comes back, because at the end of the day, like you're still talking about a guy that was relatively new in his role. Like he's considered a rookie by every sense of the word in terms yeah. of Calder eligibility. And so you look at this and now you've got three goaltenders. One was performing really well until he got injured. Then you've got a guy who refound his game and you got another guy who's been really resurgent. And so I look at this and I go, there's not really a downside here. And yeah, they're going to have to share the net. And Martin Jones probably needs to understand what his role is, but I think he's probably going to be great with that. You get to keep your NHL salary. You don't have to go ride the bus in the AHL and the Leafs don't risk losing him. So I, I think that's fine. But I also think maybe if Joseph Wool comes back and he's good over the next couple of weeks, do they have an extra trade ship at the deadline if they really need it? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing that I never even considered. But the thing the thing that's really important here is, well, also, I mean, let's be clear. Martin Jones is on a, he's on a one-way contract, so he'll be getting his, his money. If anything, he'll make more money in the AHL because he doesn't have to pay escrow. Yeah, he won't have escrow. Oh, damn. Yeah, I didn't, so if anything, okay, he might be Okay, for whatever reason, like, I thought it was a two-way. But maybe that's, oh, no, that's Hill to be that's a two-way. Never mind. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a one. Yeah, he'll so, be yeah. still on his ELC. But who knows, man? Maybe like maybe he wants to go to the AHL. He's like, I don't have to pay escrow. This would be great. But no, they like okay. So the thing is, is that the Leafs uh, they have Rachel precisely zero dollars in cap space right now. That's not a joke. That's not a, a, a an over exaggeration. They have zero dollars in cap space, and um, it's going to be difficult to sort of get these players back because they have. You know, Callie Yarncroke is coming back. Joseph Wool hasn't been activated off of LTIR yet. There needs to be a roster move to come just to fit Wool back on the roster. And then they have Timmons, who's who can also come back. Um, he's on uh, IR right now due to mono. They have uh, Mark Giordano, who's on the bereavement list right now, but he's on non-roster, so they need to make a move for him to come back. And then obviously Callie Yarncroke with $2.1 million for him to come back. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how they make this work. Yeah, it's it's going to get interesting here. I think Mark Giordano is a different story. They're going um that's a that's something where you can find what is it whatever it is like $850,000 like that's that's a salary whatever the case may be. Uh Cali Yarncroft's a little different. They're going to have to move some bodies here um with LTIR and whatever else the the case may be. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I think there's there's definitely some trades and some other things that are going to have to get made to make sure that they've got all of this. But if there's one thing I'm confident in, and there's almost nothing I'm confident in with the Leafs, but there is one thing I'm confident in, and it's Brandon Pridham's ability to manage the salary cap. That guy mm-hmm. finds money out of nowhere. And so I am 1,000% sure that he already has every scenario sorted out because those are just the kind of things that Brandon Pridham does. And so I'll be interested to see it. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for the Leafs. And either playing really well, like they've won the most games in a row that they've won since, I guess, 2004. So you and I were uh, in elementary school, I believe, grade two and three when that was the case. And so, hey, I mean, leave it to uh, Toronto to cause a bunch of problems for itself when it's playing arguably the best that it's had in 20 years. So I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting time in Toronto. And they, they get the Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday. That's going to be interesting considering they just absolutely smacked them last week. I would mm-hmm. have to think there's a response coming there. That generally doesn't happen twice. And even if Vegas doesn't win, it isn't going to be as easy of an evening for the Leafs as it was on Thursday. Listen, these are good problems to have. 
they have too many good players and not enough money to fit them under. It's a good problem to have. They will figure it out. Brandon Brindham has seen every, like you said, every possible scenario that could possibly happen. And he, he has a solution for it. It's going to be great. All right. Um, speaking of someone who's probably seeing stars right now, uh, it's Matt Rempe. Uh, God bless. This guy is fighting everybody. He has more penalty minutes than total ice time uh, so far. He is just every single game, it seems, because, you know, we get this every once in a while where there's a guy who comes in the league and he established himself as a big boy. And uh, he basically every sort of I don't see it very often anymore, but we used to is that every sort of anyone who can throw knuckles on a team is like, all right, well, this guy's the litmus test. Now, this guy, this is the guy I'm going to square up to and start chucking nucks as we like to call it and boy oh boy is that happening he did lose pretty convincingly to matthew olivier of the of the columbus blue jackets i believe on, on i think Sunday that might be because Saturday. it was like his fourth fight in five exactly. days or something like he, that like hey i feel yeah. like somebody at the rangers if you look at it and i heard it on the 32 thoughts podcast but it was something that i had kind of been thinking about i would talk with johnny lazarus a little bit like Peter Laviolette, veteran coach of the NHL. Chris Drury, mm-hmm. like veteran of the NHL. And you look at the veterans they have in their lineup, whether it's Chris Kreider, Jacob Truba, whoever the case may be, someone in that organization needs to pull that kid aside and say, okay, we know what you bring. You don't need to feel obligated to fight every single night. You can bring it on the four check. I saw somebody call him an Adam Edstrom, who's his line mate, who's 6'7", the, the New York's new Twin Towers. And I'm like, let's maybe not do that. Um, but, hey, 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 let's yeah, not do that. Not let's not do that. make that nickname. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do that. But I think that person made a good point in the sense of like, they're really difficult to play against and you've got Barkley Goudreau in the middle. And so I think if someone can get a hold of Matty Rempe and just say, hey, you've proven that you deserve a spot here and you bring a spark to our lineup... Just get in on the forecheck, big hits, be difficult to play against. And when the call comes, you can answer the bell, but don't do it every night. Like, I don't want to see this guy fighting Ryan Reeves every night, Nick Delorier, Matthew Olivier, some of the NHL's toughest guys. This guy's a kid. Like, he doesn't need to do that. But I do feel really good for him. His his interviews with Emily Kaplan and after the stadium series, they've been awesome. I think it's fantastic for the league that this kid has come up and made an impact. I just hope that somebody gets to him and says, okay, like we could dial it back a little bit now. Yeah. the only problem though, is the guy's so tall that, uh, you know, as we saw against, I believe it was Nathan Bastion is that anytime he tries to hit someone, he literally takes their head off. Yeah. I kind of agreed with the fact that that didn't get any supplementary discipline. Cause I went back and I watched the hit. We, I watched it in real time and it was a clean hit in terms of like what he did. Then I watched it in slow-mo and that's really where all the dissecting happens. And if you look, one, he's six foot eight, can't help that. He's not going to bend down. But then you look, his elbow's down, his shoulder doesn't raise up. He doesn't take three strides into the hit. He actually tries to stop, and Bastion is bent over, and it's just a really unfortunate hit. And obviously, you feel really bad for Bastion, but at the same time, that's something where he can't really do anything about it. He can't not hit him. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of this needs to be that the onus is a little bit on the guy that's getting hit. Like you can't be bending over like that in a, in a, in a position, you can't put yourself in that position because by the definition of how you're supposed to hit Rempe can't do anything, but what he did there. And so I feel like he also shouldn't, that was, 
yeah, he got five in a game, but I, I agreed with the fact that he wasn't fined or suspended because he couldn't really do anything else but that there. Um, and another guy I think we're we're going to touch on here is Zach Bogosian. Like, that's another tough, tough customer in the NHL. Um, I don't want to see him f- continuing to to fight guys like this. Like, I think that's that might be a little much here. Yeah. You know, now I think just because we're getting a little short on time, obviously, we want to have Jesse in on the show here. So I think what we'll do is we'll save the the Bogosian-centered story for Thursday because it's a fun little story that I think we can really kind of dive into. And it's very – so what we'll do is a little tease. And instead, we'll go into our PWHL report, as we always do. And boy, oh, boy, every week is just the same. There is drama. There is fun. There is high-scoring games. There's low-scoring games because of great goaltending. Everything is great. Rachel, what happened in the PWHL this week? Yeah, I went to the PWHL Toronto game on Friday. Uh, froze my butt off because I didn't wear the proper jacket. So that was bad well, you're idea an idiot for that, but okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, but PWHL Toronto played New York. Uh, Toronto's now won five straight after a really, really tough t- start to the season. But it was it was an awesome game. And honestly, like they scored Toronto scored to take the lead with about eight minutes left. And then New York tied it with 8.6 seconds left in the game. And it was awesome. It was a one, one game. Um, and the goaltending was outstanding. Ellis Shelton tied it for New York. And then overtime, they got a like New York got a power play in overtime. They didn't score. Um, and then Natalie Spooner twice in the shootout, both great moves and Toronto wins five straight. And so I think Toronto's kind of finding itself here a little bit figuring out an identity Troy Ryan's got them playing that typical Troy Ryan system if you watched the women's national team when Troy Ryan was the head coach of team Canada pretty much the exact same system and he's he's got them rolling now a little bit but I think probably the biggest piece of news here is that Taylor Heisey was put on LTIR this morning um, and that's a huge loss for Minnesota she's been one of their best players yeah, she's also been like one of the most entertaining players in the league. Like, I feel like I see a highlight from her every other day and pretty much every game, game in, game out. She's been one of their best players. And so losing her, they said she's going to be gone um, for a little bit. They've signed a player whose name is escaping me right now to attend a contract. So it's 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 interesting. I do want to follow up on last week's PWHL report. Um, okay. We said we'd figure out contract voiding and, and how okay. that works. I got the answer. Okay. So uh, somebody got back to me and basically if it's a one year contract, it's not a guarantee. So you can kind of be like either bought out or have your contract voided, but you still get uh, a month of your benefits and healthcare and all that kind of stuff. And so there is like a little bit of severance and stuff involved, but if you're on a one year deal, you can have your contract anytime terminated yeah if you're on a multi-year deal you can't and so that's an important distinction i think and and so i wanted to follow up on that um the other thing i wanted to talk to you about like the goal real quick before you do that hold on how many people i want one question i want to ask you because maybe you have this off the top of your head instead of me and and there's no i don't believe there is a cap friendly for the pwhl yet unfortunately there is not likely there will be how many players are actually signed to multi-year contracts I don't know, but I have to think that a lot of the national team players. So mm-hmm. Hulan, probably not on a one-year contract. Laura yes. Stacey, Alex Carpenter, Hillary Knight. But I feel uh, like there's Sarah a lot Nurse. of one-year deals. Like yeah, I would say, if I were to guess, mm-hmm. 
and it is a guess because we don't have this information. If I were to guess, if you are not a top six-ish player in the league or a top pairing defenseman, you're probably on a one-year deal. Man, it's that's that's tough, man. The fact that you can get you can get axed at any time is I mean, it obviously it adds another layer to the the whole like drama of it all. But also, I mean, I can't believe the player association agreed to that. <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, I I would have to think in talking to the person that I spoke to, that's something that they're going to look to sort of renegotiate and change um, or at least make it so that th- th- there's an incentive to not buy the player out. Right. So mm-hmm. maybe the team has to pay out that that contract or whatever the case may be but i don't want to ask you so okay. i feel like the goalies might be too good every yeah. single goalie who is qualified has a save percentage over 900 four goalies have a save percentage over 940 that's and crazy how many teams are there rachel there's six six yeah so like so the, basically the starting goalies of, of of two-thirds of the league are over 940 yeah and Come i on. have some concerns about and don't get me wrong like i think the goalie goalies being great is great, but I think for the viability and like the entertainment of the product, people like scoring. And I was talking to a couple people when I was at the game who are really involved in the women's game, and they they raised that concern. They said they're like, we have concerns that the low scoring is going to impact the level of entertainment because people want goals. Like mm-hmm. they want goals, and right now the goalies are, I guess they're too good. Right, you can't have two one games because as much as like people like us who are hockey nerds like we're we're low scoring, we like defense in order to bring fans in kids want goals like that's what they want they don't know what a defensive scheme is they're eight years old and so i do wonder sort of how this is gonna play out because even i went back and i looked at like the original six uh, in the NHL, there there were six four games and five four games. We're just not seeing that at the PWHL level. And as a credit to the goalies because they are really good. But I do have some concerns, and they're not invalidated concerns. Like there are people within the women's game that are sharing those concerns that they wonder if people are going to tune out if there isn't goal scoring. And so I do wonder kind of how we get to a spot where um there's more goal scoring and whether it's the goalies are just too good for for the skill level right now and that's not to say that these women aren't highly skilled it's just that these goal these goaltenders are absolutely fantastic when we've got to maybe do something about it so um yeah if there was ever an argument to make the nets bigger uh this might be it but all i'm saying is is like i think it's it's been a fantastic sort of kickoff for the league but I do think we've got to find a way to, to get some some scoring in here because I think that's what's going to keep the kids coming back. Listen, I I can recognize the defensive scheme and I appreciate it as much, but I don't care. I want I want goals. I want to watch, you know, pucks going nets. That's that's the whole point of hockey. So I get it. But what's interesting though is how we fix that. Like how how are we supposed to remedy? that situation i mean you said make nets bigger what is it like make maybe make pads smaller like they did sort of in the nhl or i don't know like like what what could possibly be a solution yeah it's it's tough i don't or think do we let it play out 
Yeah, I think you kind of have to let it play out at least for the first season. Uh, one thing that I've kind of spoken to a few people about is if you score on the power play, like that power play doesn't end. And if you remember, that was a rule in the NHL until Wayne Gretzky came along. And then they were like, mm-hmm. okay, we we kind of have to get rid of this rule. But I can't I believe think- there was ever there was ever a time where that wasn't a rule. That just feels, feels like one of those rules that's been there forever. Like a team scoring yeah. like five goals on like one power play. I can't even imagine that we lived in a world where that happened. Yeah. And so I think maybe seeing that, that could be fun. Um, but other than that, like it, it's kind of tough, right? Cause like you got to play five on five. You have to um, continue to kind of play within the rules of the game. Uh, it was a physical, like it's been really physical and PWHL, like the, like the Toronto, New York game. Um it was a really physical game. Like there was outright hitting in that game. And I was like, God damn, like Jesus Christ. Um, and so I like that they're allowed to do that. The pl- That's something the players have pushed for. So I noticed compared to the international game, it was a much tougher game. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I just, it was an absolutely fantastic product and um yeah, that's been this edition of the PWHL report. And so we'll be back uh, next week and maybe we'll have more goals to talk about. Who knows? Maybe we will. Um, now, before we get Jesse on, we're going to have, uh, or when we get Jesse on, we're going to have our Can Torque deep dive, Rachel. And so I um, just want to make sure that Can Torque makes rugged, rugged, hardworking industrial torque tools for heavy equipment operators around the world. They're proudly Canadian and manufacture everything out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada for heavy industry around the world. Their new website tells their story 20 years in the making. Visit cantorque.com today and ask Colin for more details. This is our Can Torque deep dive. And here he is, my and ex-lover. look who's here. Yes, he is. Jesse, how are you, buddy? I feel like a college kid who's been gone, you know, for like freshman and sophomore year abroad, didn't come home at all. And now this is like my first time back and like whole families together, you know, mom and dad are back together again. Mm-hmm. This is great. <laughs> well, I feel like Rachel back. parent trapped us, Jesse. She did. Yeah. She's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're both Lindsay Lohan show. and we're just. Oh my God. I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm 2005 era Lindsay Lohan, like good era. Just want to point that out. Okay. I'm the mess. I'm, I'm on okay, the bender. Um, okay, good. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we were able to agree on that. Um, Jesse, <laughs> first of all, how are things going? Good. Yeah, everything's good. Good. Um, you know, from a non-hockey perspective, yeah, everything's been fine. Well, I'm sure we'll get into the <laughs> hockey side and the, the fire that's uh, burning in Pittsburgh right now. But uh, yeah, everything else is fine. Um, watching a lot of Moana this week. Uh, last 10 days or so really been into really been entrenched in that with the little one so ready to move on to something new (laughs) that's good Uh, yeah okay so we're we're at moana what other princess movies have we watched a hundred times in the marshall household so you gotta remember a big grinch family here right rachel so that's an Mm -hmm. all-year movie the one with uh tyler the creator soundtrack that doesn't ever really go off um we've dipped our toe into frozen we've we like olaf a lot we're not as much into like the princess side we like the snowman so um we just need to branch out man that's really what it comes down to i got her off the peppa but now it's like insidious on the moana and like you know we need variety is really what it comes Wait, down tyler to. the creator on the Grinch soundtrack he he yeah he did the whole soundtrack it was him yeah, yeah. and pharrell not the jim carrey one the, the new one. No, but, okay. the new one. Yeah, 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 yeah. one or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's insane. That's insane. I got you on um, this one because as the resident Disney psychopath on the show, if she mm-hmm. likes Moana, 
put on a movie called Lilo and Stitch. Oh yeah, we haven't gotten to that yet. But I think that is call. very yeah. Moana vibey. It's another Hawaiian uh, style movie. That's the original one. It's also getting a live action. So if you get her into it now, then when the live action one comes out, you'll be able to watch that too. Maybe it'll give you some variety, but yeah. she might not be able to tell the difference between Moana and Lilo right off the hop. So you might actually yeah. get her into it. I as love Lilo the songs are different, you know, or the content is different. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Emperor's New Groove is also oh. like a little Moana coded. Like, I feel like she'd be into that. There's a lot of like here. big, a lot of big dudes yelling and funny songs. It'd be great. <laughs> um, a lot, not a fun, ha- uh, not a lot of fun happening in, P- in Pittsburgh right now, Jesse. And, you know, we, we're, we're talking about exes and, you know, here, you know, ex-lovers and whatnot. And you have our ex-GM and Kyle Dubas at the helm of all this. So we, we've never seen a, we've, you've seen Dubas at the helm of like, obviously big issues in Toronto, like, you know, losing streaks or first round exits and stuff like that. But we've never seen him at the helm of a team that is careening towards not making the playoffs. What is that like right yeah. now? Yeah, I mean, I so I think it's fair to both acknowledge one the task that he got um, assigned to him when he took this job, which is to sort of clean up the Hextall mess, and to sort of do it mm-hmm. in a summer. <laughs> like, hey, we still want to compete for a cup. You're gonna make all these changes in three months. Go, uh, and he tried his best. Unfortunately, he got a couple. He hit a couple doubles. Right. He, he brought mm-hmm. in some he brought back Tristan Jari, which has proved to be a really smart decision term aside. Uh, mm-hmm. And he brought in Alex Nedeljkovic, who's been phenomenal. Right. Phenomenal. It's really given the Penguins their first good run of goaltending in years. But he tried to replace the entire bottom six pretty much. Sans Jeff Carter and has failed at that in a big way. Uh, Matt Nieto, Noel Chari, um, Jan- Jansen Harkins. Uh, these are players that are just not doing anything they're they're hemorrhaging chances and shots against um it's kind of wasted i think you know the Sidney crosby experience this year which has been you know he's still an elite player and is doing amazing things um so unfortunately for kyle dubas he can't afford to to strike out on those replacements and he has and now he's in a position where he just traded you know last week a sixth round pick for emil bemstrom who's been fine in his first game but you see where I'm going here? Like we're in the position where we're he's accumulating a lot of two-way defensive fourth line, third line players in an attempt to continue to try to get this bottom six going. And I just like honestly, you look at the the market right now, Rachel. Like you can't do that right now. You can't go no, out and make three hockey trades to improve your bottom mm-hmm. six. Who's your partner for that? Like where are you getting the juice for this? You know, um, you already had to give up a. I know it's a six rounder, but he's he says he doesn't want to trade futures. You're going to have to do some kind of future trading, as we just saw, to revamp that bottom six. There's absolutely nothing in the American Hockey League uh, that is going to help you right now anytime soon at all. Maybe ever. Um, Maybe until 2030. So I don't think that, uh, you know, that's not a place that you can go to fix it. They've tried uh, to do that. But um, he is very much in in a spot right now where he is doing everything. He's, you know, uh, he brought Jesse Poljujeri back in. He's hurt. You've got... um, uh, I mentioned Jansen Harkins. I'm missing somebody. Um, Lars Eller is another well, one. That, he's actually worked out pretty well, Rachel. I think that's the only other one that was like, I wouldn't even call it a double. It was more of a single. Um, mm-hmm. But he's been he's been fine. Um, yeah. But, it, it, you know, Riley Smith, another one that, like, I thought showed a lot of promise early on and is kind of just almost totally checked out. Um, you can't go out and make, you know, he's trying his best. He's bringing in a lot of these spare parts. Um, some of them work. Most of them have not. Uh, and that's the ongoing process for him is, 
you know, they don't want to close this window, right? So you keep hearing words like uh, pivot, soft rebuild, right? Like, you know, it's a very ill-defined concepts that give you the, the sense that he's going to be buying and selling simultaneously. Okay, so I we talked about this last week, Mike and I, on our show, because we did a deep dive into the Ottawa Senators. And what we noticed is ever since Shane Pinto's come into the lineup, it's given them three scoring lines. And then you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, who lately have gone to three lines, and they're centered by Matthews, then Domi, then Tavares. And that's giving them that they have some depth there. I think part of the issue in Pittsburgh and we were seeing it with Toronto for the majority of the season, is that they were really over-reliant on their top six and specifically really over-reliant on Sidney Crosby. And so when you talk about striking out on these bottom six players, what can Pittsburgh do realistically that can give them three lines that are difficult to play against? Like, Is there a lineup combination that they can have with their current players? that will allow them to have at least three lines that are a little bit more balanced? Or is it truly like, hey, we got to make some moves here because we're Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and some merry men up front? Not having Jake Gensel makes this a lot harder, right? Because um, mm-hmm. he would normally be stapled to the side of Sidney Crosby and you'd evaluate your options from there. I mean, I get the sense Mike Sullivan's trying that right now, Rachel, because he's taken Riley Smith completely out of the top six and put him on the third line in an attempt to strike some level of balance there. Um, and then, you know, the recently acquired Emil Bemstrom's also been put there as well. But that's, again, that's a line that tears, that scares you a little bit defensively and you think you can rely on them, you know, late in the game to shut things down and to secure a win for you. But if you're down two goals, that's not great. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think and Brian Rust, frankly, isn't scoring. You know, he goes through these wild, like, surges and regressions throughout his entire career. Uh, and he's in, a, he's in a regression right now. Hasn't been, a, like, a super great player this year. And he's usually someone – you could take is like you, you know, Swiss Army knife and drop him down to the third line. He's got the skills, the skill sets to kind of drive play himself down there, but hadn't really happened this year either. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have struck at bad times uh, in addition to some of the lineup decisions. But, you know, I, I think again, I don't want to discredit Lars Eller because he's been really good this season, from a, especially from a defensive position. And and if you look at the metadata, Rachel, there's no forward on the defensive, or excuse me, no forward on the Penguins roster who creates more shooting opportunities from the defensive zone, sourced from the defensive zone, than Lars Eller. Exactly. So, but but like, what is happening with those shot attempts? They're not that great, right? Like so, <laughs> like I think back, you know, I watched the episode that you guys were talking about those three, the rolling those three lines, and the first thing I thought about was the old HBK line in Pittsburgh, right? Hagelin, Benino, and Kessel, and what a night that was you know you had to pick your poison if you're an opposing mm-hmm. coach but you know the penguins right now they aren't even really a top six team they're kind of just the top three because Evgeny Malkin is drowning right now and trying to do it a lot by himself uh, Drew O'Connor who's a young player fresh graduated from the AHL has been on his wing and I'll be honest has been fine I don't think he's been remarkable in any sense but he hasn't sunk the line uh, it's been the right side that's been really the problem um, they've kind of Got Valtteri Poston in playing there right now, who's an exciting young uh, Finn mm-hmm. player, just also graduated from the American Hockey League. But, the, you know, we're running into the thing now, Rachel and Mike, and I know you're going to laugh at this because coaches do it all their league. We're like, let's punish the young Finn for trying something daring that almost worked and then, like, telling him to never do that again. That's not what that line needs. They need talent that can carry puck across the blue line that can make dazzling passes onto the tape of Malkin stick that blow people away. And right now we're in a sense of, like, 
you know, uh, they, they, the, a game over the weekend, he, he kind of tried a home run bomb to Malkin and it got picked off. It was a nice attempt. He was on the bench for the rest of the game until the empty net goal was scored to give the Penguins the win. Then he comes back out. So, you know, you, you're asking. Meanwhile, your, Jeff Carter is just like turn out there every shift. If it's a defensive <laughs> zone draw, you can set your watch to old Jeff being out there to, to take that defensive zone draw. Uh, and it's just so, you know, I think there's a, a huge disharmony right now and just the way things are being run. I mean, you look at the power play sub 15% for this group is mm-hmm. inexcusable. And the fact that nothing has happened about that all year long and it's just continued to get worse. Um, you know, there's a, you don't get the sense that everybody's like on the same page right now. Can I ask you a question uh, here, Jesse, because I'm very, I'm very interested in, in this situation just because we spent so long hyper fixated on what a Kyle Dubas team is, what Kyle Dubas acquisitions are like, how Kyle Dubas wants a team to play. And this is a very unique situation for him to be in, but we also never saw this applied to another team. I want to ask you, first of all, I find it hilarious that you're like, his first job or his biggest job was to remake the bottom six, except for Jeff Carter. And I go, well, why was it all that except for Jeff Carter? I feel like that's the first guy you should probably want to focus in on. So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to, I want to get in, get in shape. So I took everything out of my diet except Big Macs. Like, okay, cool. Well, you're not going to do much about that. Like, it, it's not going to help you. But a big thing that happened in Toronto with Dubas acquiring players is, is he acquired a lot of cardio merchants. And what mm. a cardio merchant is, I'm not sure if you've heard of this term before, but it's a player who has good underlying numbers, you know, like the, 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 all, the, all the stuff that would make nerds like you and Rachel go crazy. Um, you know, he's, he's got good, uh, like, you know, good possession numbers. He's fast, you know, he's able to, he's able to move the puck, but nothing comes of it. Yeah. Nothing. I'm talking like, he, like he doesn't hit even really doesn't get to the center of the ice. Just someone out there who is really there for cardio. And I'm thinking the Pierre Engvalls, the Alex Kerfoots, uh, on the defensive end, even like the Justin Halls, but also, you know, when he was at his worst in Toronto, the Ilya Mikheyev's. Um, have they found some, ha, has he stapled you with a lot of cardio merchants? Cause I feel like guys like maybe in Emil Benstrom or other guys like this might be fitting that bill. Yeah. Noel Char is a good, perfect example of one. I mean, we loved mm-hmm. him before, right? I think that's a previous. Yeah, so that exists. Mm-hmm. Matt Nieto is the same kind of guy, right? Yep. Like, uh, empty calorie. There's a lot of empty calorie ice time. Like there's not a mm-hmm. lot going on, but I guess it's okay. Cause the pucks. It's like it just exists at neutral zone the whole time, right? Like no, no one is playing at either end of the ice. All 10 players are packed in between the, the blue lines. Just Great. Like playing this awesome. condensed yeah. version winning of hockey. winning hockey right there. Yeah. So, I mean, cool. You're not getting scored on. That's great. We all love that. But like literally nothing else is happening. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like passenger hockey is what I've been calling it. Um, there's no one on those lines who's like capable of driving like long possessions or like zone entries. Uh, and if you look analytically, like at, at the all three zone data, like the micro stats for the Penguins in terms of generating offense and like where it comes from, it's really just Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and, and Jake Gensel. That's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and two of them play on the same line. So do the math. I mean, you're in a pretty distinct disadvantage here with no one else that can do those jobs. Um, it's not even like, you know, I'll use Brandon Tanev as an example. Like Brandon Tanev you you almost could feel that energy, mm-hmm. right? Like he shot out of it. It's still the same way yeah. for Seattle. He shot out of a cannon. Absolutely. Like that's effective forechecking. This, you don't get that same sense here, right? Like you're not getting struck with the same level of awe uh, when Matt Nieto is bearing down on you. So, uh, you know, I don't, 
I, I do understand. I do think he had like a distinct vision and it was try to get the team to, from a roster perspective, align more with Mike Sullivan's vision. But I, I got to be frank, you know, the players who are already here may not align great with Mike Sullivan's vision anymore. So adding more of them hasn't really been helpful. So I think, you know, and, and Rachel, like think about like the system, right? If you're going to run a four check that has this like built in swing where that, that, that guy at the top of the four check is constantly going in and out, in and out, in right. and out. And one guy's dumping and the other one's coming in. And it's just that a whirlwind cycle. Number one, that's not even that aggressive of a four check anymore. Like those are the way no. Florida plays. Like yeah. you're not you're you're not Florida. Like and then two, <sighs> the older players that you have were really good at that in 2016. But we're just a two short years away from that being a decade ago. And you were doing the same yeah. stuff, right? So, like, I've I've jokingly said all year, you could watch a game from. Why would you say that? And, and yeah, wow. And, why would, why and, would and you say that to us? tonight? So, yeah, that's the way it is. Okay, so let's look at the uh, the analytics because, like, on the surface, their analytics are good, right? They're seventh in expected goals at fifty two point six percent. They're seventh in five on five save percentage. But we've addressed the fact that the goaltending is the very. Uh, there's basically two things that aren't the problem right now: the goaltending and eighty seven. That's pretty. The rest of it is a big problem. They're second in expected goals four per sixty. Their PDO is at a hundred, so it's basically even at in at that point. And they take more shots on average than they give up but they're outside of the playoff race. And I look at this and I say to myself, I'm like, is it really seriously? And you look at against the Philadelphia Flyers on the weekend without Sidney Crosby in the lineup, they get cakewalked in that game. Is this team really the goaltending and the hall of famers? And that's it right now. Like, am I crazy in, in my evaluation of that? Most of the time, I think you would look at a team and like you would look at data and say like, okay, this team's generating a lot of chances. They're generating, they're controlling the game and even strength and the finishing isn't there. That'll change, right? That's generally the, the line yeah. of thinking we would all have. Regression. It's going to come back. Re like permanent regression is sort of like a feature of this team. Like ever since Ron Hextall came over because their finishing has been 27th or worse every single season for the last three seasons. But... From the flip side, what's expected on them, right? If we look at the quality of shot that they're taking, it's always been really strong. They can't finish. That's the problem. And like the bottom six is so bad that it, it really does affect the rest of the good stuff you see happen in the top six. It drags it down and keeps that wow. finishing anchored at the basement of the league. So it's almost like it's like empty calorie expected goals, right? I mean, and I, you know, three years ago, I was like, no, it's going to come back. And then last year, I was like, this is weird, but it'll come back. And then this year, I'm like, no, fool me twice. I'm not waiting for a sudden resurgence in goal scoring here. Like, the bottom six can't do it. And and I think that the, the second line has sort of been hampered in even sort of a similar way. And used, they used to be able to get by with the power play. That was the thing that sort of, like, saved them was, you know, they had a man mm -hmm. advantage that was, like, plus 20%. Boy, howdy. And now you're you're not living on that. You're giving you're, – I mean, frankly, the other teams benefiting when they take penalties. You might as well just spend the whole game in the box. You'd win, you know, 8 nothing every night. So I think, like, that's that's problematic, and it, there, that hasn't been able to cover up the warts. But to answer your question, Rachel, yeah, like, I, again, you I don't know how long you something can go on before we stop calling it regression and just calling it, like, a fact of life. You know, like, I feel like we're really teetering on that line with the Penguins of like, this is just the way it works. And and until they can make those improvements and find guys that are going to work down low in the bottom six, it's it's still just a, it's, you know, it's a one line team.
So what is it about the power play that like, I know that this is being, this is the million dollar question here. Like if you, you know, if you had an answer, you'd be talking to us from your gold throne, you know, in the, you know, in the, the offices of uh, PSG or whatever, but, or Fenway sports group. So FSG, uh, but like, I don't get it. Like you have, and I know that I'm, I'm pr- probably parroting stuff that you've heard in talk radio and columns and all that in Pittsburgh all season long, but like, I don't get it how how you can have four Hall of Famers on one power play yeah. or, you know, three, depending on, on you know, which kind of combination you want to put there. And then, you know, a Brian Rust or a Jake Gensel or pretty much anyone else you want to put on there and how it can be this bad, how it can be 14.67% when the league average is 20.7. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't understand how this happens. What is it? Yeah. Um, so a handful of things. First of all, if I was on FSG's board, the first thing I would do, Rachel, is sell Mo Salah to West Ham for an absurdly low price. <laughs> then moving on from that, um, this, so this, they run an umbrella, right? So the problem is we live in a world of hyper-aggressive penalty killing units, right? Like the mm-hmm. power kill. Yeah, sort they, of, they, they call piston it, right? out, right? It's- right. <laughs> right. And it, the, the Penguins have been running the same umbrella since Mike Sullivan took over. I, you know, I said like, you could prepare for a game tonight by watching the tape in 2017 of the power play. Different players, same thing. You have all these Hall of Famers that essentially their response to pressure from a penalty killing perspective is to move up ice towards the blue line, right? Oh, good. So you end up with this sort of T shape where <laughs> you have everyone up playing like horizontal to each other on the blue line and no presence down low or at the side of the net. Um, this, I don't know how, you know, Todd Reardon, supposedly the guy that I think is like sort of chiefly in charge of the power play. And I've said this, I, I don't, I don't know how he's still there, right? Like, yeah. like you've, you really have not done anything to address the symptom. They've, they've changed players ad nauseum, but they are putting them in the same system and it's the system that is the problem, right? You could put like you pull Mario and Yager back from the reunion last week and put them on that power play. And they're not going to be in like a weird spot. They're unfamiliar with, you know, I've said like, I'd love to see them do something like a two, one, two, right. Get Crosby down on the goal line, right. Yes. Get, get mm-hmm. enough, somebody and then put like your Gensel in the middle or a rust or somebody that can find open space and strike. I don't care who you have on the point at that point, your focus goes from being the top side of the, of the, the often the blue line all the way to the corner. And that's what they need. They have absolutely no presence down low on this power play. It's none. It's non-existent. And they're never in a position, by virtue of how high they get pressed, they're never in a position to win puck battles down low. Because you always have somebody has to come from north to south to try to support the play. And it's just like, there. I have seen, and I'm not kidding you when I say this, Like it's just there's been no adjustment to the system. They've had set play stuff they've worked on off of face-offs to try to like generate something really early. But there's been no change. And they, they can gain the zone pretty fine. It's not even like they're having trouble gaining the line and establishing position. It's just once they get in there, they can't do anything. And they, okay. they end up really high. And if you look at the heat, that's the last thing I'll say. If you look at the heat map on where they're shooting from, right point. It's all right point where Eric Carlson is. They just give it to him. He runs out of ideas. He shoots it. <laughs> okay, so I have a radical idea for the Penn's power play because – I've noticed the same thing and I was kind of hoping that you were going to break it down that way. Cause I'm like, okay, this I'm either only watching a small sample here or like, this is insane because this looks the same as it did eight years ago. Yeah, I look at this and I go, okay, you have four hall of famers. Malkin arguably has the best shot of it all when it comes to a one timer. No that argument. Thing, yeah. No yeah. argument for me. Yeah. Carlson and Crosby, I think are the best passers. Yeah. I wonder in your two one two scenario, what if 
the guys on the goal line were Crosby and Carlson. Because at that point, they can pass to each other and yeah. use the net front. <laughs> but then they're also passing up to Malkin, Latang, and Gensel, who are different shooters, specifically, let's say, Gensel and Malkin. Like, if your head is on a swivel because you know that Crosby can score from anywhere on the ice or he can come and he can walk out off the line and do something, or Carlson can thread that seam pass no matter what. I think if you get the toe caps pointed the wrong way at the penalty killers and you get that puck back to Malkin, he's going to have all the time in the world to just walk in and absolutely murder a puck. I don't understand why if you're going to play 2D and this is like the one scenario where playing 2D on a power play is acceptable because you have Latang and Carlson. Why don't you use one of them who's an elite passer on the goal line and force the penalty kill to really get creative in how they defend you? Because I don't think we've ever seen a defenseman, certainly of not that caliber, on the goal line and, and basically quarterbacking the power play from the goal line with Crosby. And I Is mean, that even legal? In the <laughs> Is I, a it, defenseman on the goal line elite? Are we allowed to do that? Yeah. It's but this kind of goes to where I'm going with this. Is the fact that the coaching staff has been there for as long as it has part of the problem Uh-oh. here because I look at this and I think this is something I would try. You got to think out of the box because you can't do the where we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Like that just doesn't cut it when you have this much talent on your power play. Is there a merit? I think Mike Sullivan's a great coach. I really do. Like I think he'd be great, but I wonder say what if you're going to say, his, Rachel, I wonder if he's run his course in Pittsburgh. Is I, I mean, that look- a legitimate worry? Yes, 100%. 100%. And especially because I think that the messaging has just been so constant and the same for so long. I what what made me answer no to that question earlier this year, Rachel, was a, they ran through this stretch of games and they were really successful whenever they were playing, I think, Seattle, Colorado. They were out west for a lot of it. And Mike Sullivan like eased that four check up and almost switched to like, you know, almost like a three two almost right? Like where he was, re- the guys were really deep and they were playing off the counter, right? They're generating these turnovers because they've completely eased off their four track presence. They're kind of opening the door and saying, come on in. And then when you get in, they shut you down right between the, the blue line and the red line. And they were playing, you know, you want guys like Latang, Carlson, Crosby, Malkin playing off the counter, like turning off defense into offense and catching guys off guard. And they won those games decisively. Like they were re- the best performances they've had this year. And then it's just gone. You know, it's not constant. It seems like it's something they only want to use against teams they're truly afraid of. But I think if they did that same approach against teams that are way worse than them, they'd be feasting, right? Like, you like I don't want to beat up on like, you know, a Columbus, but like, let's take a, like, think about the way Columbus looks right now. Are they, ha- are they equipped to handle that? Like, are not they, or do they want to get into a boat race with you? They want to get into a boat race with you. They want to have the access to scoring chances. But if you can like, you know, generate stuff off the, off, you know, again, turning defense and offense, you let your talent take over. And that that's a microcosm of the power play, right? Again, like they they are not in a position where they are equipped to like overload wall battles, right? Like that's why I keep going back to this 2-1-2 scenario. There's no against the grain passing, you know? How lethal is it when you have somebody sneaking in back door and you're throwing the puck the opposite direction against where all the penalty killers are? Like there's a total blind spot for them there and they never exploit it. And it's, you know... I knew that Eric Carlson wasn't going to be like this cure-all power play fixer because um, he wasn't, I don't think, the focal point in San Jose. I think he was more of like a good trigger man uh, who could also distribute the puck from from up top if it came his way. But now it's almost like they're forcing him into this like 
vertical QB role where he's like at the top set, dead center of the ice in that umbrella. And it does, he doesn't look comfortable for starters. And I think it's, it, it's diminished his ability to use his shot. So, um, you know, look again, I say, I think it's just if in the current state, if they keep using this system, you're just rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Like it's, it's not going to get you any Jesus. different result. And, you know, I think that lack of change overall, um, you know, and again, outside of those, you know, circumstantial things we saw against Colorado and Seattle, like Mike Sullivan's playing the same way he's always played. The message is the same as it's always been. And if you missed the playoffs two years in a row with this group, you know, noting the pressure that's on to try to make something happen in the twilight of these guys' careers, you know, you you could get people say, well, Sullivan get hired immediately. Probably, cool. yeah. But what do you like? That does that's not an excuse to continue like the status quo either, right? Like I, mm-hmm. you know, um, look at Lindy Ruff in Dallas, right? I mean, that's we all know how it, you know that was a tough departure uh, for him and or not Dallas Buffalo, uh, and that you know he was there for eons, uh, but it just sometimes it goes stale, and sometimes a group needs a new voice. And let's be honest, this is the longest tenured coach Crosby, Malkin, and Latang have ever had. They've burned mm-hmm. through the rest like toilet paper. I think Daniel Dan Bilesma was the longest, like three point five years, maybe. Um, Mike Johnson Mike was Johnston? here for like a, yeah. here for a couple a, a cup of coffee. He um, was here for year, like four months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was nothing. So Michelle you know, Tarian. Yeah, again, that voice wore out really quickly, mm-hmm. and it, it, I think we've the expiration date has come and gone here. I think you know, and it stinks to say because I think he's he's the best coach in team history, right? Mm-hmm. But like. We have to judge things by the current state of results, not the 2016 state of results. And that was a long time ago. Now, we focused a lot on forwards, obviously, like the power play and forecheck and whatnot. I want to talk a little bit about defense uh, before we let you go here, Jesse. And and namely, um, I think it was you that tweeted it, but I saw it where it's like basically the, the Pens have at this point like two guys in their in their six defensemen who can play like actual defense. <laughs> That's I think true, it was yeah. you who's – I think that was you. Who <laughs> I did say that. that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that and, and hey, it looks it looks pretty bad. One and and I, the biggest other than uh, you know getting Carlson in the fold, I think the biggest ticket item that was acquired, maybe not re-signed but acquired, was Ryan Graves. Yeah. Six years, you know, four point I think four point six. Um, what happened to Ryan Graves? He was a good defenseman. He had positive metrics all throughout, yeah. basically since he was not from his sophomore season on in Colorado and then in New Jersey. He looked, you know, he's big, he's relatively young considering the amount of, you know, uh, I guess sort of miles that he has. What the heck has happened to Ryan Graves? Yeah, I don't think it's a good environment for him. You know, if you go back and look at both the video and the data on his time from New Jersey, he liked to have the puck on a stick for the breakout. He generated a lot of zone entries, and he took a lot of sometimes empty calorie shots. Um, he loves to shoot. That is his favorite thing to do from anywhere all the time. And he's not able to do that now. You know, uh, Marcus Pedersen is one of the players I was referencing that can actually play defense and has been phenomenal now for three straight years for Pittsburgh at doing just that and being sort of like that stay home shutdown guy. They're asking Ryan Graves to do that. And I think that, you know, Ryan Graves is perhaps the least physical defenseman I've ever seen. Um, Like he just doesn't have, you know, that's not his role. You know, he wants to be involved in what's going on in the offensive zone. He wants to to wheel and deal in the neutral zone with the puck on his stick. He's playing with with Hanger Carlson. Yeah. He's got a long reach. He's got a long reach, but he, uh, yeah. Is he a cardio merchant? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think a little bit, man. I think he does fit that bill because he's a great skater um, and he loves to shoot a lot. And I think that that's what he's limited to. And so, you know, what makes it work for Marcus Pedersen is that he's like prime era Brian Dumoulin, you know, like he's a black hole. You know, you put him in a, against a 2-1-1, he's going to somehow knock that puck away and buy time for those forwards to get back. And he does that with like good gap control, good body positioning, you know, getting a hand up and playing a little role of an offensive lineman there on some guys legally, obviously, within the boundaries of the rules. But that that's not who Ryan Graves has ever been, you know. And I think like, you know, I was talking to a lot of people from New Jersey when they signed him, and they all said the same thing, like decent with a stick in transition, but don't lean on him to like clean up people's messes and that's what he's that's exactly what he's so they they bumped him down to the third pairing to kind of get him away from Latang and Carlson and I think those results were okay uh, they were better um, but that's a lot of term and money to be invested on a third pairing defenseman um, who isn't you know really making a huge change to your landscape by playing down there you're look at the end of the day Rachel there's too much ice time for for Latang and Carlson right? Like yeah. you only, you're not going to bench either one of them to, to play Ryan Graves. Right. So yeah, I don't know, Mike, I think that, and you shouldn't, it, <laughs> this is one of those ones where he, you know, we talk about the Kyle Dubas struck out on a couple of things. This one was one of those ones where he struck out and then comically spun around with the bat and like fell to the earth afterwards, you know, like it, it's just, He's a, your it, Cody it's, CC. it's an, if we let, it's funny you mention that because we loved Cody CC here. He was like really mm. good in Pittsburgh. So that's a different conversation for another day. But yes, to answer your question, like I, I think that's been a real struggle. And I think like I wouldn't be surprised. And it's hard to do because of the contract. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to shop Ryan Graves actively right now. Just because there's that there much. There's no distance. way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's just <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, there's, there's not There's no way you can it's, trade him though. Oh, he's, yeah. No, that's six, what I'm saying. He's yeah, got I mean, five years after this at 4.6 and he's a third pairing defenseman, like you said. Well, here, it's he's crazy. a third pairing defenseman here. I think you could still bill him as a top a second pairing guy, right? He's I think a first pairing defenseman in Arizona. Who are we kidding? Okay, yeah. Right okay, now? but like, yeah. Yeah. you're a first pairing defenseman. Jesse's, Jesse's young child is a first yeah. pairing <laughs> defenseman in Arizona right now if Matt Dumba's hurt. Great. You know, like it's... It, okay, we're talking, so last... Yeah. I guess, yeah. Last last question, probably the most important question. I guess it's... I didn't mean to insult your child like that, Jesse, okay. by the way. I, mean, <laughs> I know, I know she'll, she's dead. She could definitely run a power play. She's, I know that. We're... Yeah, I'm trying to dissuade this goon-like behavior that she, we're playing mini sticks in the basement. I'm taking a beating. She's living that rempe recently. She's mad. Yeah, yeah. She's chucking nuts at you. Oh, yeah. man. She's got to be in control of your stick at all times. That's the lesson in the basement we've been trying to learn. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, so probably like my the most excited I've been to ask you this or ask anyone this question because I I love just like the raw answer that I know we're going to get here. You're the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. GM Jesse, GM JM. Who do you sell and what is the price for Jake Gensel? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I would love to keep <laughs> him here, right? And I've like, been so much fun to watch him. Um, he's been one of the most cerebral players I've ever seen come through the city, like very clearly the, the son of an accomplished coach um, that, that has permeated its way down to him. Uh, but I'm looking for a, a King's ransom i don't care if he's not signed through the end of this year i'd assume any team that's planning on executing this trade is going to have a plan for that in place uh, as the deal gets done uh, i need a hockey player that can help me right now uh today to start uh it doesn't have to be i'm not looking for a marquee name i'm looking for somebody i can uh, uh, uh what was it a uh, uh, uh what did you call him mike 
and cardio and merchant. Give me a cardio. cardio give me merchant. one of your cardio yeah. merchants because I got a rotating door of them here, and I need somebody in today that can help me out, especially in the bottom six. I need a I need a first round pick bar none. Like that is a non-negotiable. Oh, yeah. Like give me a maybe give me another one too. Like next year you got one lower. Like I might want that one as well. And then I need like a a, a prospect um, that I need a good prospect. I don't okay. need a Holloway. Like I know that name kept coming up from Edmonton. That's not going to do it. Um, so I'm, if you're Vancouver, let's say you want a first Tom V Lander and like, I guess a Dakota Joshua type, because he's actually been really good for Vancouver this year. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, somebody who I think would be a really good fit in Pittsburgh. And I'm Nils curious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my son Nils um, is Archie Baines. Yeah. He's a kid undrafted in the dub undrafted in the nhl one of the smartest players i was around at prospect camp in vancouver like his ability to get in on the forecheck his routes his work ethic on the puck his ability to be in the correct spots he's the opposite of a cardio merchant he's actually like a productive player but vancouver i guess well now they've brought him up but i think a hoaglander or a baines if and obviously Gensel has been rumored to be kind of going to Vancouver. I think those are two players where if you get one of them, like you should be excited because I think one, they, they can play right away. Like you said, but two, they're the exact opposite of what you have in the bottom six in Pittsburgh right now. And in the fact that like Baines has come up and they asked Rick Talkett about him yesterday. And you could tell that Rick Talkett is not going to be happy if they have to send him back down to the A because he really likes him. Well, you know what? What else is discernibly different about them, Rachel, is they're under thirty-three, so, <laughs> and that that in of itself is a major change. Uh, they're like, under twenty-five. And shockwaves throughout the organization. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I uh, I would like again. I think the main the main takeaway for me is, and if it does, you know, I I would hate if, to see Jake Gensel go for nothing, you know, in the summer, and I you know, there's projections for him that got him north of eight million, right, in salary plus a good term and he'd be crazy to pass that up. Right. But I, I would, I, I think underrated is his ability to do it by himself. Right. Like there's yeah, so much of the sentiment in the Olympic discussion about Jake Gensel was, well, you know, he's a product of Sidney Crosby. That is not true at all. Um, Sidney Crosby helps, but I want to like, people need to understand the, that Crosby himself is benefiting from Jake Gensel as well. Right, like it is, it is not an easy task. People hate when I say this. It's true. It isn't easy to play with Sidney Crosby. He's a nuanced guy. Right, things mm-hmm. you do in the moment that are fleeting afterthoughts or habitual to you, he wants you to change because he doesn't like the way that you did it. You don't even know you're doing it. Chris Kunitz said one time to me, "I didn't even know I was doing this stuff." Like I, it's like I'm just mm-hmm. playing. Like, I've been doing this since I was 14. So like finding someone who can take that feedback and action on it and like has a grasp of the game like that. Like he can, he, he can, he has run lines by himself, his ability to dissect a defense, hold the puck and keep it despite his small stature is very real. And uh, there should be no concern. Like, I don't know what team that would be trading for him that didn't have a good center for him to play with. That's not a very real possibility to me, but you know, yeah, there's levels to good centers. And I think, you know, no, no matter who he's with, he's going to be able to, to generate play by himself. And I think the price should be, reflective of that frankly as much as it does kind of stink you don't you don't want to lose jake gensel you know he's a good player he helps you know he's able to play with crosby he's he's 
because like you said, it's difficult to play with Crosby, you know, like there, we've seen that with a lot of different superstars too. And that like superstars are inherently, like you said, nuanced players and they, they do certain things. They want pucks in certain positions. Uh, they, they just want it to, they, they ask for different things or maybe more things from a player than any other kind of player would. And it's tough. Um, but if you really want to like pivot or you want a soft reboot, or you want to do something like this is the move you make. Like this is like, like you said, they need futures. They have, they have none. Everyone's over 33. I'm shocked that the, that the helmet decal is not Ben gay, you know, like it is, <laughs> it is that. And so they, if, if they're going to do something here, Gensel seems to be, he's the expiring asset. He's the kind of guy, you know, when he gets healthy, can really take a, a team that's on the bubble and, or take a team that's even, you know, about like a contender and push them over the top. That seems to be your soft reboot or soft mm-hmm. rebuild kind of guy right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's an acknowledgement that this year is over, right? You don't have it now and you're building the space and assets you need to take another run at it in the summer and hopefully not strike out on some of these decisions that you're making in the bottom six and defensively. Right. When Sydney um, and maybe you get, seven. maybe you get Braden Yeager in the lineup next year, or you get yeah. a young player, right? I yeah. think Braden Yeager could theoretically get in the lineup next He's the year. only one, Rachel, right? I, yeah. I think a year and a half ago, I might have said Owen Pickering, but Oof, I don't uh, think that that ship has sailed as well. And I think he'll play in the NHL. I just don't think his ceiling is anywhere near what we thought it was, and it's probably going to take him a year or two of refinement in the pro game to get to that point. That's a defenseman that needs AHL time. For yes, sure. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I have a question. I have a question for both of you guys. Okay. I have a question for both of you guys. Um, and I guess we can sort of, we can let Jesse go a bit after this because this is really hard hitting and I think it's going to take up a lot of brain power for you guys. Um, do you, how much better do you think the pens would be if they were available to use the roughly $2.6 million in dead cap they have tied up between Jeff Petrie and Jack Johnson still for the mm-hmm. next at least two years? Oh, uh, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I forgot oh, about how that. much better yeah. do you think if they would have if they would have well, the you know the, I think the, the going contract rate mil. I think the going contract rate for a cardio merchant's about that so you could bring in at least one more <laughs> have at least room for another Pierre, one get Pierre Engel <laughs> yeah exactly six yeah. years after this one yeah there you go oh Perfect. god that's, that's so great. scary Jack Jones alright Jesse well I hope we didn't ruin your day <laughs> with this <laughs> conversation uh, no. that's good. But thank you so much for, for coming on, man. Uh, you know, we, obviously we miss you around these parts and we, you know, anytime you want to come on the show, you let us know and you, you are always welcome. Uh, it's truly a blast and hopefully, you know, you'll have some positive things to talk about next hopefully. time you come on. It'd be great. <laughs> hopefully. Thanks. The nicest reunion I've ever had. I appreciate you having me back. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Of course. Nice, man. Jesse. Well, what a show it was, Rachel. What a, what a great conversation we had with Jesse there. Um, this obviously does bring us to the end of the podcast. So obviously uh, subscribe to Twitch, subscribe to YouTube, uh, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on pretty much anything on TikTok, pretty much anything out there. Any podcast we have, that's where our podcast is. Um, we have some, we had some great content. Yes. That'd be great. Let us know how bad or good we are doing. Mainly bad. Those are always more fun to read. Um, and so obviously we had a ton of content last week. Uh, Mike, Mike's Meals for One, where you get to learn how to make a fried chicken sandwich to, to sort of paper over the crushing loneliness you feel every day. That's great. I want to make it clear that you cannot double these recipes. They are recipes for one. And if you share them, you are going against the, the spirit of the game. 
uh, here. Uh, but also we had Arkham, Arkham streams will be continuing this week. We did two last week. We'll likely do two again this week uh, because Gotham needs us just twice as much as usual. Um, and uh, yeah, and we will be back on Thursday. But before we're back on Thursday, we want you to we want you to donate to our charity of choice, Jumpstart. It helps economically disadvantaged kids play team sports, which is a cause that is just so important to Rachel and I's heart. Do that, and also buy Can Torque tools. We all have our sponsors, and we love our charity of choice, and we love you, the listener. See you Thursday. <laughs>